Whether one is listening to this in Myanmar or from outside the country, we know this is a very difficult time for many of us. In trying times like these, we can all use a bit more care and compassion in our lives. So on behalf of the team here at Inside Myanmar, I would like to say in the traditional way Metta is offered, may you be free from physical discomfort. May you be free from mental discomfort. May you not meet dangers or enemies. May you live a peaceful and happy life. And may all beings be free and come out of suffering. And with that, let's move to the show. Ashley, thanks for joining us. Hi, Joa. Thank you for inviting me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, so really great to welcome you on. As I understand, you're a longtime listener, but first time on the other side. And we've been talking quite a bit this month offline and felt that some of our conversation and interaction, I've definitely learned so much from the conversations with you and the engagement and felt that bringing those kind of discussions to a wider audience could be really valuable. And you agreed to come on and share some of your views and uh, background and experience and perspectives on the situation. So this is your first touch with that and just really warmly welcome you for doing so and greatly appreciate your time for being on. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, so I guess I'll share a little bit about myself. Yeah, please. Okay. Um, so I currently live in Georgia and I'm originally from Burma. Um, have been here since I was nine years old. And as I've been watching these things unfold in Myanmar, um, you know, I feel concerned and also inspired to, to be able to engage with this conversation with you and at the same time find ways that we might support uh, the people in the movement in whatever ways possible. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, you also come very strongly from a meditation background. So there's these different layers of perspectives and experience that you're able to give, not just about the current moment and understanding that, but the deeper Dhamma that comes behind it. Right. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So I've been meditating, um, you know, for probably nine or 10 years um, in the Goenka tradition. And so that has really um, been a source of support for me uh, over the last month. Yeah, right. Well, let's move into this particular episode. And for this interview, we're doing something we've never done before on Inside Me and My Podcast. And that's we're having a short conversation briefly just before you hear the interview, because we feel that the nature of what you're about to hear is so different and 
has some challenges that we really want to work to ground the listener and provide some context for better understanding what follows. Right, exactly. Um, you know, the people in Myanmar, they're going through a really, really challenging time right now. And so that really shows in this next recording um, with the speaker being in a very emotional state and also the time of day and the, the activities he's engaged in. So, um, so yeah. Yeah, right. And to give some background in our, our activity this month, we've really been trying to talk to people on the ground in Myanmar, and it's been extraordinarily difficult, and not just difficult for technical internet reasons, but as one friend explained to me, uh, so I understood a little bit better, just said, you know, a lot of us are really not in a good frame of mind right now with everything that is going on. I mean, of course, we know that uh, they're basically living in a terror state right now, and uh, there's no stability anywhere. There's no state institution that is any relief. Most of them are actually the problem. And so to ask someone to take any time out of their day to talk and process what they're feeling and describing what they're doing, it's, um, you know, no one really has the wherewithal for that. And so it's been really hard to be able to have a long form extended interview with anyone there. And we did touch base with the person you're about to hear who did agree to sit down, but he was also in, understandably in this state of mind as someone who's active every day, whose um, face is uh, literally changed colors from being in the sun so long and staying at different monasteries every night for safety. And uh, the interview was cut off in the middle of it because we started talking after midnight one day, he stayed up just to talk to us. Uh, there are people snoring in the background. And every night from 1 a.m. to 9 a.m. Myanmar time, uh, the internet, all the providers, all the Wi-Fi, all the networks are completely shut down. So in the middle of the interview, he stops midway. And then he woke up a few hours later. He went out and did some work uh, outside in the streets. And then he came back um, sometime around, uh, you could hear the alms rounds behind him. So it tells us something about the time in the morning, maybe about eight in the morning, he continued the interview. So this is someone who's intrinsically, emotionally, physically involved in everything he's doing during the day and is taking time out of that to be able to talk to us and to share his experience. So that's some background about the situation that this speaker is in. So I think knowing about these background circumstances really make you appreciate the availability of the speaker in taking the time to talk to us. And I want to emphasize there are some real gems in what he says. He says some things in this talk that I cannot stop thinking about. And as we'll talk about, Ashley and I will talk about together after the speaker, when we flesh out some of his interview, there are some really, really profound things here that I think are very valuable for people who care about this issue, for meditators, for others, to be able to understand the depth of what he's saying. And there's real, real value in it. That value at times does not come out directly. It's not always the most straightforward because he's in the middle of it right now. So sometimes the clear expression of ideas is beyond the ability of a mind that's caught in a very difficult situation. So one of the reasons why we're having this brief conversation before is to set some context that we really wanna encourage the listeners 
to stay with the speaker as these points are coming out, even when they're not being delivered in the clearest or most direct form, because there is treasure at the end of this path where he's leading us. But more so than other interviews we've had in the past, it does take a bit of work sometimes to hang on and to get there. But I really want to emphasize it's really worth your effort when you do. Yes. And, you know, I was really impressed with the speaker's ability to share about his experience, given uh, given the situation that he's in right now. Yeah, absolutely. And I think even more than that, what it does for the listener, if you really hear underneath his words, more than any words can actually take you, is it transports you in a way that pictures and videos and text can't do to his reality. So even where he might not be the clearest or the most direct in getting to his point. I want to assure you the point does come and it's very powerful. And even the journey there, while it might not always be the smoothest, it's a very authentic look and feel into his reality that I personally haven't gotten quite so profoundly from everywhere else I've been following this. And so for those listeners that really care about what's happening and want a better understanding of it, you can't do much better than uh, than sinking into what he's going to say. So with that, let's uh, pause here and bring in the interview and we'll join you after an hour and a half. I'm here talking to Chitun. It's very late night in Yangon where he's coming from us. He's staying at a Buddhist monastery after a long day one of many long days out in the streets. We're trying to get the best sound possible for this interview. It's the sounds of Myanmar behind him, of dogs and uh, crickets and other uh, other kind of animal and insect life, including some other people in the room with him that apparently Chitun tells me are snoring. So maybe we might hear them in the background. He's already apologized in advance if we do, but we really appreciate Chitun staying up past midnight to be able to get this recording in after what's been a series of very long days as his friends are now sleeping and what will be a series of long days coming up. So Chatoon, thank you so much for taking the time and energy to be able to talk with us now. Oh, it's fine. I'm very glad to share about my experience because of you. So carry on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So before we get into what's been going on this month, I just, I'd like to hear a little bit about you and your background. So we know who you are. So if you're able to describe a little bit about where you grew up and your family life, and I know that Buddhism and monastic life also played a role in your upbringing, if you could share a a bit about that background. So we just have a a, a better understanding of you and where you come from. Sure. Yes, uh, I am Tetron and I was born in an insane township. But I am mostly uh, because, you know, my father is uh, like a government staff. He worked in the, like, the ministry of the prison in Myanmar. So uh, because of his uh, his duty, we moved, uh, like, uh, especially, like, uh, we moved uh, another city to another city because of his duty uh, when I was young. Especially uh, when I was 11 years old. I have been to the, like a chain state and uh, this very hard. It's very hard uh, for us to attend the school. That's why my father decides uh, to let go, uh, to let go his job uh, because of for our education. 
especially we have a family member and the three is my brothers and one is my sister and the other is my parents so uh, he worried about our education so uh, so he let go his job and uh, he moved to the city which is easy for our education especially we spent a year in homeland township uh, that's it that's a nearly candy at uh, like uh, near the border of india and after that we move uh, to yangon especially in lego and we arrived to lego when i was 12 and uh, i can i can carry on i can carry on my education you know although my father is a government staff uh, but we we face with the difficult times uh, because uh, we he didn't get paid enough for the family he didn't get the support from the government especially you know like uh, the government stuff like a business government stuff during the military during the military government is really hard it really hard to to stand so that's why we he tried to let go his job but you know his officer didn't allow because he has no reason if you want to leave the job from the government uh, he have to give the reason about the help or something like that he gave the reason about our because it is difficult for our education but they don't care about it so my father got his job uh with unofficially you know like uh, without informing any any his officer and after that we moved to lego and we carry on our education and i finished my high school in lego and after that my father went to thailand to get a job because you know in myanmar for it's very difficult to get paid enough uh for a family uh, for the business worker so my father decided uh, to go to the thailand to walk with my eldest brother and after that pass away in thailand we didn't get his body back and uh, we just made some kinds of donation for his funeral in myanmar and after that we carry on and when i finished my high school and i moved to the monastery because the monastery we support uh, for my university education as a as a return i teach the i teach the student from the monastery and after that my full year after i finished my university uh, like uh, when i was fourth year student like in my family is very difficult so i decide to walk before i finish my university and after that i walk and in 2020 i got a good job i met with a, a good new family like that but in 2025 and you know as you know everybody know about that the covid-19 pandemic is really difficult and it strike like uh, it hard for everyone uh, to survive like uh, we lost our normal life but in myanmar uh, like uh, we are, we were preparing so much uh, to face the covid-19 because the good government and uh, in 2021 in 2021st at january uh, we will preparing everything but at the first of February, we got a nightmare. I, I want to stop just for a moment there because I want to go, before we get on that, I want to go back to uh, the time you spent at the monastery in Legu. You said that uh, yes. after your high school, you ended up spending 
a lot of time volunteering and living at a monastery and yes. want to ask a little bit more about what you were doing there and what your experience was like, how you were influenced by spending so much time around monks and at a monastery and exposed to those teachings and kind of what your, your overall time and experience was at the monastery during those years. As um, personally, I spent about totally six years in the monastery uh, because after mm. finish, you know, in Myanmar, after finish the high school, uh, we have to wait about the about a year to to get the result. Like uh, you pass or you fail the high school, you know, this is especially exactly nine months. This is about a year. We need to wait about a year to attend the university. And after that, I spent about the six years in the monastery. In the monastery, especially. Uh, as I as I mentioned before, I teach uh, I teach the student from the monastery and uh, that monastery is like uh, they support the foreigner too, who uh, especially the foreigner who want to meditate in Myanmar, who want to be a monk, uh, who want to be a nun. So uh, we support them too. So that's uh, in that cases I help them about uh, to to arrange the accommodation and about about their problem about their health. Uh, like uh, about their visa problem, you know, in Myanmar, uh, Myanmar is everyone knows in Myanmar is a Buddhist uh, country. Most of the people are Buddhist, you know, but it's very difficult even for the even for the you know for the normal monk, like uh, the government has a, they divide they divide and the, especially the military government use the Buddhism as a cover as a cover for them. So like. Uh, most of the monastery in Myanmar is very difficult to survive. Only a famous, only famous monastery are like uh, they have plenty of food and uh, they have plenty of money to to spend in the building or in other other thing. But you know, especially most of the monastery are difficult. So our monastery at the beginning also one of the monastery which faced the difficulties. But my about like uh, the leader of the monks he is very trying hard tries mean like uh, he is very like a uh, pure and his like uh, how can i say he is very restrict in his habit about he follow the monks rule and he practice so much that's why he famous among the lay person and uh, they trying to support them and he he, when he got the support from the donors, he tried to support to the students like us. So when I arrived to the monastery, I understand that. So I became one of the students from the monastery, especially uh, my, jo my duty in the monastery is uh, teaching and uh, arranging and helping to the foreigners. And, uh, you know, in monastery, when we, have, when we have a ceremony from the donors, we arrange for that. So and I was one of the... Right one of the leader of the students. Yeah, right, right. So you're you're describing a monastery here with a Sayada who's very highly respected and revered for his integrity, for the way he's following monastic discipline, even though economically there's quite some difficulties in terms of the support they're able to get in a poor country and not being favored by the military and serving also a very poor community. And you were describing that the Sayada was in fact so revered and respected at such a high level of what he was creating that not only was he in a way serving his local community, 
but foreigners that were coming into Myanmar to meditate, to ordain, to study Buddhism in some form of all the thousands of monasteries across the country, a handful were choosing to come into this monastery because the environment was so conducive to being able to have some kind of intensive practice and support and to be inspired by the example that Sayada was setting. And you found yourself in this really interesting role of um, you had been transplanted to Legu, you had moved here with your family, and you have good English skills. You're, 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 um, um, your English is more fluent than those around you. So you're put in this role of interfacing between the local Burmese Buddhist monastic culture and the foreign practitioners that are coming and trying to find a way to engage in the practice. And you're kind of coordinating these yeah. two different cultures that are meeting yes, and coming yes. into contact. And that's that's really interesting. And that's where my next question is going is that, you know, on this podcast forum, we talk to a lot of the foreigners that are on the other side of what you described. So we talk to we we talk to the foreigners who come and stay at the monasteries that you're serving and that you're living at. And we hear kind of their viewpoint and their background and their experience about what it's like living at that monastery, what they learn and what they enjoy about it and their challenges and everything else. But in talking to you, you're coming from the other side. So you're actually a native Burmese living in a monastery, seeing these foreigners come and start to integrate. So this is like the reverse perspective of what we usually get. So I'm really interested to learn being a, a, a born Buddhist, raised in a Buddhist country, raised in a Buddhist family, living in a Buddhist monastery um, in your native country of Myanmar, and then seeing these foreigners start to come in and try to practice. Uh, that's a very new experience and thing for you to see. So what what did you what did you learn in watching the way that they approached the monastery and approached the practice and approached the culture and adjusted to the environment? What um, what did you find through observing their experience? Uh, did, did anything inspire you? Did you learn anything more yourself? And just generally your perspective about seeing this. As you know, I, I most of my time, you know, as a youth, I spent in the monastery and my environment is like a monastery life. So, you know, before I got married, uh, I was thinking to be a monk. And also, one of the foreigners came to Myanmar and uh, like uh, they approved to the uh, border border way and uh, they they want to they want to learn the border teaching. So at the time, this make uh, this make me a lot of inspiration. But you know, uh, like uh, everyone is not perfect. Like uh, even in Myanmar, like uh, many many good monks. But uh, they are also well meant. And in foreigner uh, also, like uh, for us, we need to focus like uh, only like uh, one ambition, one purpose. If I want to learn English, so I just only the English and uh, on the way before I got my purpose, like uh, there will have difficulties. But but my purpose is to uh, to got English, like uh, to be influenced in English like that. For the the foreigner who want to learn Damar in Myanmar, like. Uh, who want to learn the Buddha teaching in Myanmar? Some other foreigners that uh, they really like uh, inspire us. Even for even for the native people like us, they inspire us because you know for them, even the reason uh, the the season of Myanmar is a challenge for them. You know, like a different like a in the in the Western country the season is very cold, but in Myanmar is really hot and the right, rainy right. season like a different. 
the West and East really different. Like uh, even for the reason is challenge for them, but never stop learning the Buddha teaching because of like a season or because of the space or because of the difficulty. Or they never stop. They're they they are they are hunger for the Buddha teaching. That's why mm. it was really surprised me. And uh, you know, I got the lot of experience, and that they without they they teach anything to me directly, but uh, they teach me like indirectly. Uh, buying their habit and then buying their strong decision like that, like that. But you know, and some other some other foreigners are like uh, they want to. They also want to learn the Buddha teaching, but like uh, especially they focus. If our space is not very uh, like good enough, good enough for to to live, you know, they thought ah uh, it's not okay, like it's not okay to predict, like right, like like how can I say very choosy, you know, very choosy, mm. like uh, yeah, mm-hmm. so. And also, like uh, sometimes they focus like uh, on the wrong way because you know most of the foreigner who really interest um, about Myanmar, like uh, about uh, Buddhism, you know, Buddha teaching, uh, especially by the Ugoinga and uh, by book, by listen, and also you know they knew that very famous monk, like uh, the monks who are very restrict about the monk's lore and very good in mind and very try hard. So they heard about that, the foreigner, they learn about that. And when they arrive to Myanmar, they find uh, they found out the reality. This is uh, mm. 21st century, like, you know, some right. of the monks, uh, they lose, um, they're, they're lose in the, like, uh, they didn't follow the monk's rule, not exactly, and like uh, some of the monks, but they are also the monks who follow very exactly the Buddhist rule, so very different. So when they have learned the reality, okay, they some some of the foreigners they shock about that. Mm. But uh, mm. at the time, you know, this is very very this is very challenging for us as a as a monastic student. You know, we are very happy when the Westerner came to the monastery. They want to learn uh, about the meditation. As a child, we thought, ah, oh, we can learn the English from them, and also we can hear we can hear the like us. Different experience about the country, mm. about the experience. Mm-hmm. Like you know, that's for mm. us. This is very nice. But you know, in reality, as I mentioned, like uh, some of the foreigners are very nice. They have only one purpose. That is, they want to learn the Buddha teaching. But uh, some of them are like uh, they are focused wrong. They, they want to learn the Buddha teaching, but uh, like uh, they didn't clear. They didn't be clear about the what they need and what they want. So, Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely understandable. I mean, people that are, and this is something that has been happening for actually hundreds of years with yes. Westerners that are reading about Buddhism or practicing it in some way in their own community and then coming yeah. to a Buddhist country with their own perceptions of how things should be or how their teacher or tradition tells them things are and then having to adjust to the reality of how it's actually being lived and the dynamic of these these two different ideas coming into contrast and and also you know as you mentioned that it's a that that Myanmar is it does not have the resources that other countries have and so there's one has to adjust to different conditions both uh, in the religious institution as well as uh, comfort levels um, but you know I think it's really interesting talking to you especially on this podcast forum because. Uh, we have a lot of foreign meditators that listen in, a lot that have been to Myanmar or have some kind of gratitude to Myanmar. 
and in talking to you, I mean, you, you are one of those Burmese people that is actively playing a role in helping these foreigners to access opportunities of practice in Myanmar. I mean, you are, you, you have played a, a physical and practical role for many years in helping foreigners have a more comfortable stay. And, you know, we, we don't have time to get into all this now, but I, I, I know from talking to you in, in, in our friendship outside of this, uh, some of the difficulties that came up that, that foreigners were faced with and, and how much you tried to help them to manage those and to, uh, to be more comfortable so they could focus on practice. So, you know, you're, you're coming from a background of really assisting these foreigners in the Golden Land to have these practice opportunities. And now coming from this Buddhist monastic background, you're now involved in what's going on this month. And that's where I want to move the interview to, to understand exactly what's going on and what you're doing. Before I do that, I just want to check in with your comfort level. I don't want to ask any questions or discuss any topics that would put you at risk or that you're not comfortable talking about. So I just want to, I want to ask about your comfort level and, and if there's, um, and uh, and what you're open to talking about and what we should be careful with. Yeah, I'm okay to talk about this because, you know, like uh, as a Myanmar citizen, yeah, I have a confidence about this. So I'm just curious about your own consciousness and activism on this issue. You have become very involved this month, but in my friendship with you, I haven't seen the same level of involvement or activism before this. I'm sure you've been concerned about sure. yes. these kinds of issues yes. and you've yes. talked about them, but you haven't actually been, at least as far as my knowledge is, actually going out and and being really active at the forefront of this. So I'm curious about where did this kind of consciousness and activism arise in you? I have already familiar with like about the disadvantages of the, the disadvantages of the military governments, you know, this is the first thing is about my father. The second thing is about the monastery. So like uh, every environment when I grew up is very hard under the military government. We, yes, we trying to grow up. We trying to grow up and we, we live honestly and uh, we, you know, I have mentioned my father try hard. My father, he he is a kind of hard worker. You know, he try hard, and my mother too. You know, when when our family faced with a difficult time, my my mother like uh, sell my father sell the Bami's traditional snacks, and my father warhawk. Elder my eldest brother also warhawk. You know, even the whole family is walking, but we didn't we didn't get paid net. To, to get a good education, to get a good enough food like that. So when I was a child, around uh, like uh, five years old or six years old, because, you know, my father's, my father's background is a kind of military officers because uh, my grammar, my grammar is a kind of like a famous in the military, you know, high position level. And also in my mother's side, in my mother's side is, like uh, my grandfather's on my mother's side, uh, he is a kind of good officer in the ministry or prison. So I got, I got like, uh, not although it is not perfect, but I got 
good good life in when I was a child until I was eight years old. But you know, on my father's side, my grandfather passed away. My grandmother was alone, and also on my mother's side, my grandfather passed away. You know, so and after that, they didn't care about the rest of the family for their military government. And after that, I faced with a difficulty, mental difficulty when I was a child. You know, because of my father, because he teach us. He, when since I was young, he forced us to read, to read the books about, and he uh, he he always pushed to uh, to learn, to gather knowledge about this. So, because of my father, I have already have a, like a kinds of knowledge about the military government. When I was since I was young, and after that, when I grew up, you know, in the monastery, like a. Because you know, like uh, most of the monastery are, they live in the middle. They didn't offense to the military government, uh, but they didn't follow. Because you know, as a monk, if there is a donor, they accept. That's it. So at the time, but I have already understand about the military. I, it's around the 2012. 2012, they make a, they make a. How can I say? I don't know this come, this do this. Like they make a election. So and after that, like the NLT government, like especially democracy government, they got like a sixty-four space in the Lotto. So at the time we touched with the the taste of democracy. So at the time, at the time, like they were planning, they trying, they trying to handle, and like they open the gate. Especially like uh, employment for the young people, and uh, they are trying to get a higher education. We don't need to afford a lot of money to get a higher education. So at the time, I have a choice to improve the business people because I have already because I have already familiar with the high level people and the business people. So at the time, to grow up the business people, we need a democracy. We we uh, the government. Uh, have to be a democratic, democratic government. So we, since I was young, I believe that. And uh, 2015, the democratic government they win NLD, NLD win in the election. So we got a, like a democracy. But you know, we didn't know it. It is. It was a fake. It was a fake, because you know in Myanmar, like uh, the military, the military already already take a position. You know, in in the in the government places, they have already like you know in Myanmar economists in the main source or the economist place, they have already involved. So they gave us a fake democracy with the NLT government. But you have already know that Do Aung San Suu Kyi, the state councillor, she's she have really hope to our people because in her speech. Every time she speak, I really, I can stand, I can stand on the state. I live in Myanmar because of my people. Our people, our civilians is very important to, you know, like, a, how can I say, in the traditional way, not traditional way, in the Buddhism way, we have a cause and effect. You know, we know that cause and effort. So she she said about that cause and effort. If you are, if you live to deserve with a democracy, so you will get the government. You will get the 
government that you deserve. Right. So you're you're describing this intersection between movement towards democracy and Buddhist principles that are being introduced towards that movement that have inspired you. And this just makes me think, yesterday I was talking to a Western monk who has been to Myanmar over the last 20 years. So he's been to Myanmar before it opened up in 2012 and after. And when I was talking to him about how he saw monasteries and monastic environment and culture change once the opening took place, one of the things he commented on was that um, before 2012, he actually felt that monasteries were more traditional and more conservative and uh, that as the as the opening took place, it also opened to Western consumerism and uh, distraction and phones and internet and and the number of monks in the monastery started to decline and people showed less interest in religion and I I was very um, I was very puzzled in hearing his description because in one sense, this seems to me somewhat privileged to be able to say if you're coming from a free country where you already enjoy these freedoms um, to, um, uh, to hold on to some ideal of a traditional culture that's traditional because they don't have opportunity, because they don't have freedoms and because they're limited by what they're able to do. Uh, and then as things are opening up with, with more democracy and more opportunities and more freedoms for everyone, that is creating an influence in the monasteries and among practitioners that there is more distraction and consumerism and, and such from his point of view that, that this is happening. Uh, so I'm just I'm wondering, from your perspective, as you saw this opening take place, what change did you see in like monasteries and uh, in monastic culture during these years? For those years, I think, uh, nor didn't change much for the monastery. You know, because like uh, I've already mentioned you that the military government in the long history, they, they use the religion as a cover for them because they understand it uh, like uh, the most of the people in Myanmar, uh, they have a belief and respect on their Buddhism. So they use the point. They use the point and... Uh, you know, every time when the when they have a, every time when the military cop every time in the military cop they use the they use like a religion as a cover and they use they make a conflict by using the by using the religions. You know, like a, they make a conflict between the Muslim and the Buddhism. So what during this year, like a, not much different, not much different for the monastery, but we got a. We got a, like a clear information under the military government. They blocked the news, real news, like a. But they have already like a. Even under the military government, we have a lot of many difficult, many difficult, uh, difficult monastery in Myanmar, and uh, there are a lot of places in Myanmar which are facing the difficulty, especially the monastery, the staff. But not people must know because like a, because of the information block. But under the democratic government, NLT government, NLT government, we knew that because no information block, and we we knew them before. You right. Know? That's right. why. That's it. Because hmm. some of the people thought, some of the people thought, ah, oh, before we didn't heard about the news, you know. But we 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 heard about that news, like a bad news. Some of the places are starving, and we need to support some of the monastery. Are very difficult. We need to support. Mm. Before we didn't heard about that. Mm. Yeah, that's 
this is just for information block under the military government but on the NLD government we knew like uh, we knew most of the thing around Myanmar a whole country so that's why so like uh, the people thought uh, there's a more difficulty about the religion about the monastery under the NLT government but this is not true right so that freedom of expression allowed the ability to be able to know in more detail about yeah. what was actually going on at monasteries yeah. and how to support them yeah. in ways that that was never possible to be shared before the country opened up. Yeah, yeah. You know, and also like uh, the military government is uh, like a gross because, you know, even they cut, they cut the, they cut the money and the like uh, supplies from the donor. If you donate 100%, only just thirty percent or forty percent arrived to the to the people who are difficult, you know. Like a other fifty percent, sixty percent are gone in the air. Another military government, such kind of corruption, or right. yeah, another military government. That's why, that's why you know, like a military government, they block the information. So, uh, and other yes. Right. So get, getting to this month and what's happening now, I'm curious, what role are you playing in everything? What What is it that you have decided to take on and what are you doing every day? Uh, I do in this month. This has really changed my life. Like uh, I became like a politician this month. It's changed my life because, you know, before I was planning uh, uh, to be a nice family because I just married uh, about only this is only two months, and I got a new family, so I have to work. You know, I was dreaming, I was dreaming, and I was planning for my life during the January. Yeah, because you know, as a good news, my my wife she's pregnant, so I got a, I I have a family, so I have to try hard for double, double for that. I have to try out double, mm-hmm. but this is very hard, you know, uh, at the early morning, around 4, 4 a.m., my friend called me, make a call to me, brother, did you hear the news? What? You know, what? I, I was sleeping. What? What news? They arrest our the state councillor, the president, and the other the leader of the NLD government. What? Don't joke me about that. This is not the kind or the thing to make a joke. This is my feeling and my life change. But the military strike just once and all our dream gone. I have no idea what I have to do. But I try to calm down in mind and I change my life. Now I am I am playing this game rolling as a the leader of the students, especially because you know, I have already designed, you know, every country in the world, there's no, like, a, you know, after the military cops, there's no country which is developed. So I believe that and our country have already faced for many, many, many years. Our grandfather, our father, our grandfather, my grandfather, in his time, he lost in the Nguyen. He is like one of the general Nguyen. He is really bad and he did the military cop. And at my father's time, he lost General Tan Shui. He, is, he did the military cop to Myanmar. 
in our time, General Ming Aulai, he did the same things. So, I decide, we have to stop this, such kinds of thing. We have to stop and uh, we have to, we have to try our best, our best to stop this thing in Myanmar. So, I decided, I did everything I can to stop this, such kinds of frequent military cop in Myanmar. Because of the military cop, you know, uh, you know, at the beginning, our country was the second developed, second developed country in the Southeast Asia. But because of the military cops, we go down to the poorest country. We will poorest. We will one of the poorest country in the war. They are the because of the military cops. So I decided, I will, I will try my best in these cases. So I decided and I try to connect with my friend and other people who are trying like a Komingo Nai and uh, he is an ATA, ATA student, the ATO student, so he is a one, he, now we mark him, he is a, one of our leaders, but he always said, all of us are leaders. So our state council at Wonsan Suji born many leaders in Myanmar, we have to prove that. So I play as a, one of the leaders for the students and then now I am trying my best to how can I to stop this military cops and to stop these like a, how can this detergent from Myanmar we were stopped. So you're describing that you everything's going well for you. You have a great job. You have just married. You're due to be a father. You're connected to foreign meditators that are coming. So you're gaining this merit by helping them to practice. You're in contact with great monks yourself so that you have the spiritual journey in front of you. So you have all these really great things, both in worldly life, responsibility, spiritual life, friends, everything else, profession coming at this time. And then this terrible thing happens on February 1st. And you decide that you're basically going to risk all of these things in your life that you're holding on to, to put yourself out there day after day in protesting and claiming this independence and this freedom. Was this a difficult decision to come to, to uh, knowing the risks and the sacrifices involved? Yeah, especially the sacrifices for my baby. I don't want, I don't want my, I don't want, I don't want my baby to grow up under the military government. Yeah, you know, like uh, having a good job, that is good for me. Having a good environment, having a good family, that is good for me. But you know, my brother, he just got a new job two weeks ago. Now, he has no job anymore. And my friends, they were planning. They have already, they have already passed, their, they have already finished their university. They are planning to go the abroad and uh, to make a diploma about their engineering. They all stopped because like uh, all over the country, now the other country, like uh, they make a sanction to Myanmar and uh, no scholarship, like, you know, most of our youth, they lost the dream for them, for me, and also, like, uh, 
this is the first time we voted. We voted LD government. We voted democracy government the first time. But the military did. They don't care our. They don't care our. You know, our vote. They don't care us. They have already take over. Like a, in our country, you know, like a, their daughter, their son, and their family, they live in our country as a king, as a princess, as a prince, and also now they are spending a lot of money because I have already know, but most of the people they are silent, they didn't care, because now we are planning to be. Our bust under the NLT government. We don't care about them. It's okay. It's okay. They have already spent our country results for their own. But it's okay. We can understand and we can be patient about that. But they did the military coup. It's really bad for us. Now everything is stopped. You know. Now. You might think I have a good job and I have a good life. Don't worry, I, you know, there's a consequence, big consequence in our country. If we if we can't stop this such kind of such kind of thing like a military coup, we have already three times in Myanmar and、uh, they grip our country to the from the top to the down. You know, we I've already mentioned you. We will. We we will we was our country was a like a second developed country in Southeast Asia, but now we our country is one of the poorest country in the world. This is because of military coups and they did and they use every chance everything from our country for their own, not for our people. Because I grew in modest, I grew as a modest life. I grew as a modest student. You know, I knew that, I knew that, and I understand the heart of Burmese people, the heart of Myanmar people. There, you know, this is not like a tortoise. You know, like a we. I said, you know. As a Burmese people, you know, I am a Myanmar, so I mention about the Myanmar people, like a Myanmar people should go like that. You know, like it. I understand most of the people in Myanmar, especially you know, like normal people, they are they have a big heart, you know, but that military coup destroying their job, their life, and their hopes, and their choice. So I cannot accept that. Although I have a good job, I can carry on my work, I can carry on my job, and I can carry on. But my job will stop. My job will stop during like、uh, next few months because of this. There's a strike, and also you know, now everything's a link. Everything's a link. If the country is not safe, no investment, no development. Only the people who a very good relationship with the military, they will have a good chance for that. But for the normal people, for the people with a big heart, with a good kind-hearted, they will face many difficulty. I cannot accept that. That's why I decided. You know, I have already taken risk everything because of, I did that. 
I might lose my job. I might lose my family. Even for me, I might be arrested by the police or by the soldier. I'm not sure. But before I go to the prison, I will try my best for my country, for my people. That's my decision. So that's why I now I'm playing as a role or the leader, the student, and I'm, and I'm trying my best. Yeah, thank you, thank you for that. Those are really powerful words. And you know, obviously, as uh, foreign meditators that are listening to this, that have had influence in Myanmar, we don't obviously don't have any power to influence those big players or make policy. If we if we could, we would. But that being said, there are many people listening that are very concerned about what's happening, that are doing whatever they can from their home countries with the sense of gratitude that they feel for what they were given spiritually from this country. Uh, I'd like to ask you, a Burmese Buddhist on the front lines, who has met many of these foreign meditators who have supported many in their journey. In your own words, I'd like to know what kind of support is most valuable at this time from foreign practitioners like me, like listeners out there in this position, uh, in the position that we're in and with the limitations that we have of what we can do. So what message would you like to give them now of how they can support and what they can do reasonably from their position? For a person, for a person who wants to be a king, he needs followers. So now we are making a plan. So. Everyone knows, like uh, this is CDM. CDM, this is a civil disobedience movement. So, like uh, the government staff are supporting the government system. Now we are. This is our will to fight. That's why I said uh, we win. We will win. We have already have an answer. We will win this month. Then much we will win. Now we are doing the CDM movement. So. Now and also now we like uh, linking. We are now creating a network to support to support the CDM, like a CDM government stuff. So they might need uh, like a. They might need their financial support or the living space, but we are trying our best. So this is not to worry about that, but like uh, for the listener, I really want to request, please listen our voice. And now, as our NLT government, our selected government, he is like a, this, that community, they try their best. So please support. And like a, this, now, as our NLT. That All right, so we're continuing the interview with Chatoon. We were talking to him last night, Burmese time, and at one o'clock in the morning these days, every night at one in the morning, the internet cuts out until 9 a.m. So because Chatoon was out all day and we couldn't connect with him until after midnight, we were cut off in the middle of the interview. There was no internet all night in Burma as there's not uh, these days and these weeks. And it's the following morning as we continue this dialogue, picking up where we left off. So Chatun, thank you so much for making time to come back and continue on. Thank you. I'm also glad to continue the, the pocket with you also.
Yeah. Yeah. So uh, before we pick up on the question we were at before, can you just tell us what, uh, how your morning was? What, uh, what, what happened this morning? What time you woke up and where you went? Yeah. Um, I woke up at 6.30 and I prepared uh, to protest because uh, we are protesting every day. Like uh, that's why. So this morning uh, I arranged the, I arranged the things uh, for the students, like a, like a boat, and uh, I arranged the speaker car, and uh, I collect, and I gave. I've already given information to the students last night, so uh, they have already gathered uh, on the on the bridge of Lego, and uh, we uh, we did the protesting, and uh, you know, because all the internet cut off, so I just. When I, as soon as I got the internet back, I went back to my place. I ran back to my computer <laughs> to create the podcast. <laughs> great, yes. great. So let's con- let's continue where we left off. The question that you were in the middle of answering when the internet cut was: I had asked you what message you might like to give to foreign meditators, knowing that there are foreign meditators that are indebted to the spiritual traditions of the country to people like you helping them on their path to caring and wanting to support. And yet, you know, we're all pretty small people and there's a limit of what we could support, what we could do. What message would you like to give to foreign meditators who are really caring and concerned right now? Yeah. You know, even, even just for that question, I'm glad because uh, like uh, they care about us, you know, we are different people and different country, but they care about us and uh, they want to support uh, as they can. So I'm really appreciate for that, you know. And I, I would like to share about about the situation because uh, we are protesting every day. Uh, this is because we feel and uh, we realize that we lost our future, and they viewed our choice. You know, we just want the democracy our democracy back you know we have many reasons for the protesting but among them the most important thing is we want our democracy back so according to your question we just want the emotional support from the from the foreign meditator and the, the people from other country and i request please understand us you might you might see you know we comment many messages in uh, every famous under under the page or the popular people and under the ceremony of the other country we uh, we comment about our safe Myanmar please help us this is especially you you I know you will notice that is most of the people are most of the people are the youths you will, I I'm not sure you will understand or not now we are feeling that the military and youths our hopes our future you know they destroy everything for us so now please listen our voice and uh, we need emotional support and also now we are doing our best you know every day we did the protesting uh, we did the protesting and uh, we show we show our wish we show our wish on our votes by our voice you know and also on the other side we are doing uh, to support the CDM government CDM government stuff you know, we help them about the financial support and about the living space and also about their security. You know, like a, a night, a night, the military trying to arrest the CDM people and the protesting people at night. 
so this is really this is really hard for us but we don't afraid them we are not afraid them we are afraid them we so now we are collecting we collecting the people from the wards and from the township and we are against and we don't accept the rules that they make by the military we don't accept so i would like to request the people from the other country please listen our voice so you know especially please listen our voice you will know exactly what we want so chitun as i'm talking i hear some noise outside what is what is the noise outside saying this is like uh, this is armstrong from the monastery it's the alms rounds for the monks yeah, so yeah. the monks are still going on alms rounds to even yeah, even now very few most of the monastery are closed and they're like a Uh, especially the monastery or like a, you know there's a people in the monastery so they cook they call themselves uh, and they donate to the monks yeah very few mm. very few monks uh, go for the answer during these days i see i see so I, i just wanted to go back to your last answer and you were saying that just emotional support is something that is important right now i yeah. think for some foreigners were meditators who are very connected to the country and very concerned yes. It it feels it can feel like from our side, just saying we're thinking about you, we we're sorry about what's happening. You're in our hearts. We're sending meta. This can feel like it's not enough. It can feel kind of empty. But you're saying that this actually means a lot to you when you hear foreigners on internet talking to you directly or talking generally and saying that they're keeping you in 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 their thoughts and their prayers and their meta. That this is actually very meaningful to you right now. This is supportive. Yeah, of course, it is important for us because you know after after we is after we are protesting, you know after we we after we just protest and uh, when we arrive back, so we check about the Facebook and we listen their voice from the from the from the other country. So it's make a it's make us yeah like a more angry for us like a, and also the it's give us strength for tomorrow, you know, like a, you know protesting is. Honestly, it's very uh, like a kind of tire world, you know, kind of tire world. But we don't care about it. We don't care about it. We protest every day. You can look my face like a, is it like a two color, two color? Because uh, because of the COVID, uh, I wear mask every time. But uh, you know, the other part of the face is become dagger and dagger. So my even for our faces, this is two color. So and you know. Honestly, if they can support in action, like especially now, you know, like uh, you will know about that's new. At the midnight, like uh, the voice, the voice is around eighteen uh, years old. He he make us he make a boat in front of the in front of the UN embassy. He showed that how many people, how many how many how many dead body need UN take an action. You will know. You will know that you heard about the news. You know, this is the reality. So, you know, honestly, I don't want uh, like a other people from the country, but but during these day, we need as as much as we got. You know, whatever you gave, this is like a this is a big support for us. You know, but I understand. My understanding is the most important thing is our people. Myanmar, we need to stand up, and now we are standing up. As you see, at the five times the two, you know, we did, we 
have uh, we came off from our home to protest. A lot of people they don't care about the pandemic. They don't care about the military shoots. You know, you we heard about it in Mandalay. Like a, you know, he's only he's only sixteen year old. He's he's only sixteen year old, and you know he he just looking for to support the other people. But he was shot to the head by a sniper. It's really it's really hard to accept for us. And also, you know that the girl from Nepido, she is you know she is only just nineteen years old, and she. Protest peacefully, and the one one the military trying to trying to break down the people, the crowd. They try one day, one day, one day trying to stop the crowd, and they use they use a water water pipe with a strong force. At the time, these girl and other people to cover the water. They close. They they approach near the tank. But at the time, like a, one of the officer, one of the officer from the police. He shot to the head or the girl. What is that? We cannot accept that, you know. As a, as my, as my feeling, you know. Honestly, I feel really angry about that. You know, I was thinking, I was thinking to ban the police station, but I didn't do it because my understanding is we protest peacefully. You know, Barack Obama said, "One day go loose." We go high. I accept that saying. You know, whatever they did, very maxi thing. They abuse us, our hope, our dream. They destroy our dream. But we just want our democracy back. So you know, in our country, there's a lot, there are a lot of abnormal thing happen that the military did. So you know, honestly, we need, we need whatever you can support us. You know, please do it for us. We are doing our best. Also, you know, you can check my account every time after protesting. I just arrest only for to have my food and the sleeping sleeping time. Only these times I have arrest. Other other time I did, you know, buy my phone. I make everything I can. I did everything I can. So. Honestly, we need every support that you can make for us, and also for us, we are doing our best. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I I can't begin to understand the emotions that are at stake right now. You know, just in your in in talking now, you're you're clearly, rightly so, you know, emotional and angry and um, running on very little every day in terms of the kind of energy and output you have to have. And, you know, I want to explore that you talked about just now, and you talked to me several days ago about some of the things that happened, um, some of the horrors that happened um, and your reaction to them, that anger, you know, wanting to recognizing and identifying a certain kind of anger that wanted to to burn police stations, as you said, of course, you don't do that. They go, they go low, you go high and you're holding on. So you're holding on to this kind of nonviolent, uh, ethics, this, um, this, this non-harm to others. And even when you're recognizing these very human emotions of 
rage and sorrow and sadness and everything else, you're holding on to this very important value that there's a line that no matter what you won't cross. Uh, there's a quotation I read that really stuck with me that I want to read to you that I read on Twitter by, by one Burmese user. He said, they have guns, we have nothing. We are all sleep deprived, outraged, and can't think clearly at this moment. If we were to retaliate in any violent means, we will lose. Let's stay united and keep supporting yes. the civil disobedient movement. Yes. And this is this is really a powerful thing that you're, you know, mentally and physically uh you're you're really in a difficult state and you you know that there's a very 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 narrow path you have to walk to avoid the traps that are being set for you and yet you're adhering very strongly to this nonviolence this is a very strong value no matter what happens no matter how you feel you yes. are committed to this nonviolence you and so many other people I've talked to where does this commitment come from? Why are you, in spite of everything, committed to this value above all else? This is because of the Buddhism. We follow the Buddha teaching. So he is like our pioneer. You know, everything he did, everything the Buddha did, so we can learn from him. So we have our country, you, have, you guys already know that this is, most of the people are Buddhism. But you know, at the beginning, we 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 got the misunderstanding about the other religions and other people, and we cannot totally understand for the generation or eighty-eight, I mean nineteen eighty-eight born, nineteen eighty-eight. Like these people, they suffered a lot about the badness of the military, so we cannot understand it. But now we understand, so. We, I, you know, before the conversation, I have already talked about that. We are, most of the Burmese people has a big heart and they have a very understand. They understand to the other people. They just want to live honestly and they just want to rise step by step. So that's why we, we don't claim like a much thing. We just want to live peacefully and we just want to have our right correctly, you know, we just want to have the law protects. We don't want to blame other people. We don't want to fight other people. We just want to stay. I've already told you, you know, in Myanmar, according to the history from the military people, you know, and their environments, very rich than normal. They're they, they have already used and they have already used all the chance they got. They have already used the country's results and other chance. So they are, most of the, not most of the people, all the people around the military environments, especially like a top, top layer people, they are very rich than normal. You know that a lot of project in Myanmar, like a big hotel, and other big project for the building, for the bridge, like they own. We don't care about that. We just want to live peacefully. When you, when we try hard, we will like to feel, we will like to get our result. That's it, very simple. But because of now we are patient, we are non-violence because of the Buddha teaching. And also 
our leader, state councillor Dong San Suji. She is very like a she is kind of noble person for us. She always said, "We, if you decide, when you fear, angry, or when you feel any feeling about in the wrong way, if you decide, most of the decision will be wrong." The most important thing is you need to become peaceful and you need to be ready. So if so, the decision become true. So how are you maintaining to be calm and peaceful and a balanced mind when you're faced with such heavy emotions, such physical activity, such movement that you, as you've mentioned, your skin color has changed in the last couple of weeks because you're you're outside in the heat so much. The coronavirus pandemic is raging. How are you able to maintain and work with a calm mind in spite of such intense situations? The only reason is we believe that nonviolence is our way and this is the reason we will win. This is what we need because nonviolence is it is a basic fundamental thing for the human, for all the human. We don't want to fight. We don't want to abuse the other people. So the most important thing is nonviolence. So to to maintain this, we understand and we accept that. Hmm. Yeah. Right. I see. I see. That's yeah. That's that's very powerful. Um, so you mentioned how nonviolence is coming from a basic doctrine in Buddhism, and your training at the monastery, which is inspiring you a way to go about this protest in a way that really sticks to this nonviolent principle. Are there other beliefs or practices? coming from Buddhism, coming from your time in meditation, coming from your time in monasteries, are there other values that are on display now in the protests? Yeah, of course. Like, uh, you know, last night I told you, most of the Burmese people are, like, they are honest. And they are understandable. This is because all the Buddha teaching and, you know, all the religion in the world they teach to be peaceful, to be understandable, each other, to understand each other. So normally most of the people, they follow that. During the protesting, we against, we face with very hard situation to accept. But all the people believe that nonviolence is the solution. If we, if we, how, if we can hold that decision, we just need a peace. We just want a peace so we can live together. So other quality is, I've already told you, this is a fundamental thing. So we, other quality, I think, I don't need to mention about that. Okay. Okay. So... I'm curious also just what it feels like being on the ground, you know, being away from the protests, we see pictures and videos and hear testimonials and get bits of information. But 
we don't really understand the feeling of what it's like to actually be involved. So can you describe as best as you can, what does it actually feel like to be there on the street with the people, with the things happening? What uh, If you were to take the listeners onto the streets and want to try to explain to them what the feeling is like when you're there, how would you describe it? You know, I admit it, we're afraid from the gunshot at the beginning. We're afraid from arresting by the military. But on the other side, we believe we are doing the right thing and we are following the right path. And we are united. So at that time, all of the fear just gone. So on the street, we feel the unity. On the street, we strength, we stand for the truth. On the street, we fight for our rights. So, you know, all the fear from the gunshot, from the arrest, from the monastery, from the military, gone. Everything's gone. We have only power strength from the unity from the doing the right things that is our feeling hmm. how is organizing happening who who was making decisions how is the organization and the activities that are taking place being planned who is doing that how is it happening this is you know it is strange like a all the generation like us, like me, and all the students and the, all the people, like, uh, how can I say, this is, they lead themselves. They lead themselves at the beginning. You know, we have a saying, when we compare with the fire and water, if the fire is much more, the fire will win. If the water is much more, the water will win. So, this time, we cannot accept the military groups and uh, we don't want the leadership. So all the people are, you know, we didn't much, we didn't much effort to unite the people. They just follow. They just follow that. They go out on the street because they don't accept the military this time. And after that, we have already have their selected government, NLD. So we support our government and their, everyone from the street. They realize that, you know, because now you will notice that during the election, they voted, but now on the street, all the people who voted to NLD, who voted to USDB, who voted to PPP, who didn't vote, during the election, all the people are on the street and they unite. This is because they don't accept the military corps, the leadership. They don't want anymore. That's why. So, but you know, like uh, the military is a kind or organization which follow the one order. So they are very, they, they unite systematically as the civilian. For us, we unite, find our hearts, find our wish, 
not by an order. In these cases, in this situation, all the people in Myanmar are leaders. There is no follower. They did the decision by their own. We just, we just arrange and we just planning, like a, to be systematical. But, you know, there is no followers in these cases. All the people are leaders. Hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's really wonderful. Is there anything that's surprised you about the way this movement has developed? Is there anything that has come about in the way it's been organized or followed or implemented that you wouldn't have expected? Yeah, of course, it surprised me a lot because, you know, I was, I was a, I was a strong person uh, when, when during the election, you know, during the election, I, I stand for an LT government and also for the, like the people from USDP who support the USDP. We fight on, we fight on online, you know, on, we fight on Facebook, we fight on Twitter, you know, and also from the other, from the other party people. Yeah. Like, uh, they support other, other party, like, uh, even, even I have, a, I have a seven friends. We are, we have already family and we seen in childhood but we have a conflict about the politic i don't like usdb he said he don't he don't like an ld no problem but in this case we unite we don't we don't need to say it. i'm really sorry that i don't understand it. he have we have already understand each other and you know the surprise thing Always have two two kinds of people: the people who like you and the people who didn't, who don't. So you know, during the protesting, the people who fight with me, they protest together. They listen, they listen my leading. This is really surprised me. They follow like a you know they have their their own desires, their own their their wants, their hopes. They don't want leadership. They want democracy back. At the time, they listen like because now I'm serving as one of the leader, and in the student organization, so they follow. I was really surprised about that. So now, as I mentioned, that every people from Myanmar, I can say every people, except from the very few who have already win by fear, they didn't go out for the street. Right, right. So you're talking about the support from so many different sectors of society. And one thing I'm curious about, and I know listeners who are very interested in with a background in Dhamma and meditation and Buddhism would also know you spent a number of years living at a monastery. You're friends with many monks. What are you seeing of the reaction of some of the Buddhist monks that, that you know at this time? How are they responding this month? Uh. Like uh, two kinds of monks, in these cases, like uh, I believe that most of the monks, they don't, they don't accept, they don't accept the dictatorship option. Even for the, like a senior monks or the Myanmar monks organization, you know, they give a, they give a, they give a letter to the, the leader of the military main online. The general may online, they send a letter. This is a kind or this is a kind of request. In the in the letter, 
this is they are the senior monks. We accept we accept that he is Arahant like that. We really respect these monks. You need to understand. And as a monk, as a monk, normally, normally the monks they didn't involved in their layperson layperson problem layperson conflict. But this is not a conflict between parties or between some people. This is not a conflict. No, this is not a normal conflict. This is for the whole country. That's why the senior monks they release a letter to General May online like that. On the other side, before there was a, like a the monk, the name's Mapada. The name's Mapada. So uh, they want, you know, these monks are very serious about the about the Muslim. They didn't accept the Muslim unity, Muslim religion. So at the time, they make a team. We have already have a for the for the monks organization. We have already had the Mahana. This is the official organization, Mahana. But uh, some of the monks they want to make another team, another organization, Mapada. So this Mahana purpose is to protect the woman from the from the side of the Buddhism. You know, they want to protect from the Muslim. So that problem happened during the NLD government. So some of the monks they don't like NLD government, so they silent in these cases. But I knew that and I believe that real monks, most of the monks, they didn't accept the leadership. They didn't support the military cops. They stand with the people from Myanmar. In Myanmar society the Sangha, the monkhood, is a revered institution. They're kind of a moral authority. Uh, and yet they're also, it's balanced by their precepts of not being too involved in politics and worldly life. And they're, they're removed from that because they're on a spiritual path. And yet they do have some kind of responsibility to give ethical and spiritual guidance and advice. So what do you think is the proper role of the monkhood at this time, in this moment? You have already mentioned about that. Like uh, for the monks, they support their society uh, by especially moral support. Uh, their guidance for the Buddhism uh, to be peaceful, to be honest, and uh, to live. With the, with the Uthala. Uthala means the, to live by doing the good things. So, in this situation, the center of the monks is important, but I realized that they won't do any action. Any action more easy than, than the, like a, giving the advice to the to general like a, to the military but like a, in the monks in the monks organization they are also like a how can i say the usual monks like around the 20 25 that they are they have they have learned like a, they have learned the buddha teaching but they don't like so they came out to the streets for protesting. They show, they show their decision like that. So, but honestly, 
like uh, for us, it is kind of good work protesting with us. We feel we are together. Not only the monks, you know, like uh, how can I say the saints from the Christian Christian organization and also Muslim organization, Hindu reason, they came out. They all came out to the street and they protest together. It's it's kind of real. A kind of weird thing for me, you know. Normally, like uh, there's a little bit misunderstanding each other, and uh, you know, during their religions. But now, they unite not only for the monks for the Buddhism, but also for other religion. Now they involved the important center. They are also kind of the moral support and the physical support for the people from Myanmar. So their center is important for us. Not only for the monks, yeah, for other religions also. Yeah, that's that's really great. That's really wonderful to hear. Um, I think those are all the questions I have. Uh, you're obviously following the way that the protests are being shared and understood and reported uh, outside of Myanmar, and yet you're intrinsically involved in it. So before we close, I'm just curious if there's anything you feel, any understanding you feel is not really being properly captured or communicated through the way that it's being understood abroad. Is there anything that you would like to explain or share to give a deeper meaning that maybe isn't coming out uh, exactly uh, accurately? Now we are doing our best about their, to against the military coups, to against the dictatorship, you know, like uh, in the war, other country, you know, some of the other, some of the country are, they feel, they feel, and they're facing with the dictatorship, they're facing with the military corps. The most important thing is be strong, be ready to stand for the truth, for the right. You need to be totally understand and you need to be, you need to, Totally understand and you need to totally believe what you are doing and what you are saying. Now we have belief about what we are doing, what we are saying. So be brave to stand on the right side. Be strong to stand on the right side. With that, thank you. I wish you health. I wish you safety. I wish you success, you know, be safe, take care of each other, adhere to these Buddhist principles and nonviolence, even in the hardest of times. And our thoughts and our wishes and our metta are really with you right now. Yeah. Thank you so much. And uh, I've already mentioned you such kinds of support is make me feel stronger, stronger, you know, I admit it. I've already strong in it, but more stronger than normal because of your moral support and the you know, even for this conversation, it make me, it make me full of charge. Yes. Good. Yes. Good to hear. Thank you so much. All right. So we're back again. And that was a really powerful interview with someone who is right there on the front lines of what is happening and is openly sharing with us his activities and impressions and background and everything else. So I, of course, I was conducting the interview. So I had some thoughts to share along the way of what it felt like just talking and engaging with him. Before I get into that, Ashley, 
you heard the interview after it was already done when I sent you the file before it was released. And I think you heard it more than once. You heard it several times and took copious notes as well to prepare. What were your overall reactions, feelings, impressions of listening to it? Yeah. You know, I think the first thing that struck me was his ability to speak English. Um, I was really impressed with, mm. um, with how well he speaks, how easily he speaks, like you said, even though he is in this really trying circumstance. And uh, the other thing was just um, I was impressed by his uh, ability to speak from his heart and, mm-hmm. and just how honest he was um, mm. in sharing and vulnerable too. So yeah, I had a lot of mixed feelings listening to Chichen talk. Um, mm-hmm. I felt really inspired by his bravery mm. um, and his selflessness was very obvious as well. And his commitment to nonviolence, I think, was was also very inspiring to me. So so yeah, I, I, there were times when I felt really quite sad and I related mm-hmm. to his experience um, based on my time in Myanmar and, uh, and just a lot of empathy for, for what everybody's going through there. Yeah, right. And from my side of conducting it, you know, right, I, I, having conducted a number of interviews now, I kind of, things I look for and things I kind of feel what, you know, how things are going. And right from the start, I, I did being behind the microphone, I, I was kind of thinking, you know, boy, he, and I know, I know Chitun really well. I mean, we're intimate friends for many years and he's a really fluid and natural English speaker. And as we started talking, I realized the way he was expressing himself was just a bit more, you know, jagged and kind of starting and stopping and sometimes meandering to get to a point. And, I, I was thinking on my end, okay, how do I maybe ask some questions or prompt to get um, to bring that out? Or if this is just not a good time, should I check in about another time? And, and suddenly it just kind of hit me. This is the reality right now. This is the, the, there is no better time. There is no other time to connect. There is nothing to do to, um, to, uh, bring out a different version. Sometimes you can do that in interviews. You can you can engage with the guest in a way where you you get a different response based on the energy you're sending out. But soon after, I realized this is just a really authentic look and feel into the personal toll that it's taking on people. And this is the best he can do at this time and the best he can do at any other time, which is quite good and quite impressive. But it also gives an accurate feeling of just how much one is holding on to right now. Mm, yes, exactly. Yeah, you know, I think what um, what Chitun and others are experiencing right now um, is, is very much related to just decades of oppression. And, uh, and I think it's hard for, for foreigners to see that um, at a glance. But, uh, but mm. what's happening now is it's, it's been in the making for, for a very long time. And he references that too, you know, he, I think there's a lot of telling moments in this talk. One of those moments that stood out for me was when I had asked him about his current activism, knowing that he hasn't really ever engaged like this before. And I had asked him kind of a question along the lines of, you know, what, uh, how, how did this consciousness come alive where this was suddenly something you wanted to do? And his answer was, instead, it showed a disconnect between what his experience was and and where I was inquiring in terms of giving me this much deeper family history of 
uh, of what his life had been like in the past 25 years or whatever it was and what he had lived under and what he had seen and how he had been impacted to really show that this might have been his first touch with activism, but it was very far from his first touch with holding some of these ideas and being impacted by these experiences. Right, exactly. Yeah, you know, as you mentioned, um, even though he hasn't been actively engaged with um, with politics or or activism, um, this is just something that he's lived through his whole life, mm. and he's been a victim of, in a mm-hmm. sense, um, whether it's poverty or instability, um, corruption under a military dictatorship for decades, um, you know, lack of resources or or various hardships that he mentioned. You know, all of those things have impacted him into the person that he is today. And that's exactly why he's able to respond as he's responding right now. Yeah, that's very well said. And just going back into that family history, you know, he talks about how every member of the family was working hard and it's still they didn't have enough funds and his father wasn't able to leave his job because he couldn't get permission. And I think one of the things that really struck me in hearing this was well he then goes on to say that he he understood the unfair the unfairness of this and even after the country opened up he he and his friends and his family recognized that those who had really unfairly run this system were never going to be properly brought to justice not only that but they in many ways were going to continue with the power and privileges and riches and everything else they held but even with all of that, Chitun explains really beautifully and in depth how uh, he had kind of come to some resolution with that and, and that he now had opportunities he didn't have before. The country had opportunities. They could have their own life. And so whatever inequities or unfairness uh, was, was in that system, whatever sense of uh, aggrievement existed from previous wrongs, there was a way of moving past that in order to just live your life and to to do the best that you could and just accept that things were that way. But on February 1st, that all changed. And so this kind of bargain, you can say, that they had to, um, to accept how things were in return for really being able to work for something of a better life they didn't have before, that was taken away. And the one thing, the last thing that they had left that they could hold on to that that thing was also taken away from them and and that just became too much yeah you know it's it's really quite incredible um the way that this movement is um is operating right now where you know people are are focused on nonviolence and and they're not necessarily doing it out of hatred mm. or resentment um i think you know, before the coup, it sounded to me like uh, Chitun was describing they were moving towards building a society that um, that they wanted to live in, where they could be guaranteed some sense of safe, safety and stability and, and peace and harmony. And um, and as you said, all of that was gone overnight. Um, and so, even though there's been decades of of say corruption from the military government. Um, I didn't sense, you know, resentment um, mm, from the right. people towards them. So that that that's really quite um, admirable. Right. It, there wasn't resentment, but there also wasn't disengagement or ignorance. There was very mm-hmm. much a sense of everything that had happened and how wrong it was with mm-hmm. another kind of determination that 
I don't want to hang on to this. And and we can't ever get to a state of perfection with being satisfied of you know, more equitable opportunities. So the most we can hope for is that at least we have a chance right now. And this was all very formulated and, and thought out in terms of uh, where he was at that stage in his life. And so when this very last piece of personal liberty and freedom was also snatched away, that was where something where it was like, and, and he said, he, I don't know the exact words he said it, but he said something that really struck me profoundly. And that I also am, since I heard from him, I'm just realizing is being echoed from people of his generation in the movement overall, which is this sense of, you know, you can't have that too. You, 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 that's not something that I can allow to be let go of. So there's this underlying message of what Chatoon is saying on February 1st of where his consciousness and awareness comes from, which is that the last thing that he has left for his own personal freedom and liberty, that is something that he can't allow taken away. That is something that he needs to commit to the present moment for the future of his life and his family's life, because of course he just was married and is expecting a baby. So there's no world under this dictatorship that he wants to live in. And so to use whatever energy or resources he has to reclaim those freedoms that were taken is something that he's very committed to. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I imagine that um, when the coup happened, it must have come as a, as a very big shock to everybody. Um, it's not what they were anticipating. However, um, the outcomes of a dictator rule is it's pervasive, you know, and everybody mm. in the country knows that it, it'll affect every aspect of, of their life. And so, you know, right. even though the youth are leading the protest there, all age groups are, are engaged, uh, whether they're professionals or laborers um, that are striking out of their jobs through nonviolent civil disobedience, um, they're, they're all taking to the streets. Yeah, right. And in responding to that question, another thing that really hit me profoundly, or I think it was a question I asked later where I, I he had mentioned his life at that moment, having a good job, uh, stability and living in the city, having a new family, being supported, network of friends and family, and asking him about the difficulty of deciding to make a sacrifice to really put himself out in the streets, exposing himself to danger and to risk, and asking about the mental process he came in reaching that decision. And his answer was also just an incredibly profound moment for me in understanding more deeply what's happening in the mentality around it. And that's that he puts this in such a way that it's not really a sacrifice because a sacrifice indicates, implies that you have a choice. It implies that you could do this or this, but to do this, you have to sacrifice that. And that's actually not the way he's looking at this. He's not looking at this as a sacrifice of, well, I can give this up or I can take this risk or I can not do this. He's looking at it in the sense that if this continues on the path it's on currently, there's actually no life ahead. There's no opportunity. There's no possibility. There's no safety. There's no stability. So even if you're doing nothing in a week or a month or a year or two years, you or a friend or a family member for some reason or another reason or no reason at all, you could lose everything. You could lose a job. You could lose a home. You could lose stability. You could lose something much more dear. And so for him, involvement in this moment is a necessity because there is no other option. And I think as I started, as this the impact of what he said started to land on me 
And even with the time I've spent in the country, with the intimate friendships I have, this was kind of another level of understanding. And I immediately started to see the correlation between the this feeling of weight and terror and frustration from the past in resisting it in the present moment directly correlates with some of the analyses that we're seeing today of how long will this protest movement go on and you know maybe so, and I, by analyses I'm talking about outsiders really about scholars or academics or um, uh, political study people or or reporters or something where when you don't have that depth of understanding about what people don't want to go back to and why they don't want to go back to it, you can look at this moment and this movement as something like, well, you know, it's strong now, but how long can this last? And they need these kind of resources and this part can be siphoned off or you might be scared and afraid in this way. And this will, uh, they'll respond here in that way and really kind of a pessimistic view. And I think you can only really have that view when you don't understand the depth of the pain of not wanting to go back to this reality and the bleakness of the possibility of moving into this reality and what that would mean for life in living there for oneself and uh, one's family and one's prospects. And I think... And this is why I'm. I, I just think this is such an important message to get out there, and it's so good to hear from someone there involved himself that is able to speak from his own words, his own experience, his his own background. Because if we listen clearly, if we're not caught up with our own analyses and what our projections and our what we think is going to happen in our opinions, if we're really listening listening to him, his words have an enormous impact in terms of hearing how people are bringing this movement in this moment. So the more that we understand the depth of this background and experience, it informs us of what these people, the motivations of what they're doing and why they're doing it, and how even when things get difficult and tough and even dark and black and really ugly, as we've already seen, that they're not going to be frightened so easily because they know how things were and there is nothing worth going back to that. And that is really some of the profound essence we get from taking a moment to hear Chitun share about his background and his thoughts. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that um, because I've also been uh, witnessing that people in Myanmar, as well as people outside of Myanmar, especially those that are really connected to the people or have spent some time there are, are really going through a tough time right now. And I think uh, partly that is because they have some understanding of the history of, of the military dictatorship and understand that um, every initiative uh, needs to be taken right now to, to prevent more harm, to prevent um, more violence. Um, and something else I was thinking about is that, you know, I think people in the West might actually be able to relate to the events happening in Myanmar. Um, it, it was just a month before the military coup, uh, the U.S. experienced just a microcosm of, of what people in Myanmar are currently experiencing when, um, with the capital. So yeah, it's a cause that people outside of Myanmar can, can relate to. Um, you know, I think we all value freedom. Um, freedom to vote, 
um, the right to have our votes counted, and freedom to live without fear uh, from our own governments um, and the police force. So I think part of why um, you know this movement is is uh, as powerful as it is is because the dictatorship has been uh, a reoccurrence in Myanmar. I think Chitun mentioned that his his grandfather experienced um, military dictatorship under Nguyen and his father under Thanh Shui, and now Chitun is faced with yet another military dictator, Mao Mine, and and it was really clear that uh, that he's he's doing what he's doing because he doesn't want his his child to be faced with the same hardships that he and mm. his his father and his grandfather experienced. Right. So he's, I hadn't got that before. He's actually not just talking about his present reality of what's happening in this moment, what happened to his father and his grandfather and all the way back. But in addition to this present moment, he's projecting onto, and he literally, I mean, he's, uh, has, his child has not been born yet. It was, Mm. you know, maybe a month ago was conceived. And so he has this new life that he's now aware of and is projecting into Myanmar's his, into Myanmar's future, sorry, and into his unborn child's future and is drawing this linkage between the life that his child will have with the history going all the way back to his grandfather. So that's quite a heavy thing to have to have to hold and wrap your mind around. Yeah, you know, I think he mentions um, standing up that we're standing up now. Mm. And I, I find that really admirable uh, because, you know, maybe previous coups led to protests and people standing up, but I'm not sure that they were as united as they are now. And it just seems to me like they're, they're really taking responsibility and accountability and uh, are going to see this through. Right. And that, as you mentioned a little earlier, they're doing all that with a backbone of nonviolence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's really incredible because all all of this kind of heaviness that we're talking about, all of this pain that's being held onto, and this resistance and non-engagement and disobedience, it's all happening under the umbrella of nonviolence. And even when the horrors that are happening are engendering a s- certain harsh feelings within individuals, this is only natural. You know, Chitun saying that after the, the death of a couple of protesters one day, he wanted to burn down the police station. And what maturity to be able to recognize the depth of this sorrow and rage, and then to wake up the next morning and reaffirm the commitment to this principle in spite of all else. I mean, it, it's really stunning. Yeah, it's a very basic principle, you know, that they're abiding by. Um, but on such a large scale, um, it's just, it's beautiful. The movement that Chitun and others are uh, currently involved in, it really is founded on the basis of, you know, hate begets hate with an understanding that hate begets hate, anger begets anger, violence begets violence. And so, um, so therefore, they're really sticking to nonviolence and and peace because ultimately that is what what they want. That is the society that they want to live in. Yeah, right. It's it's an incredibly powerful principle, and I think I, I don't think it's really been properly understood and examined in this moment. 
And it's definitely been on my radar since we started doing some of these interviews and different guests have shared with me, including Chitun and the ones before, uh, how this principle has been informing their views and where it's coming from. And what's so interesting is that this is a principle that has a, a direct link, obviously, to the uh, successful movements of Gandhi and Martin Luther King and Mandela, who were also committed to nonviolent principles in their mission. But of course, with this, these are coming, this is coming from a bedrock. Many people, not, not all, because it's a very diverse country, but for many, and especially Chitun, this uh, nonviolent principle is coming from a bedrock of Buddhist practice, a bedrock of Buddhist principles that are informing how to respond in this moment. As, as you said with the phrase that you brought up, hate begets hate, this is fundamental to understanding the law of karma and cause and effect and the society that one wants to live in, as well as the practical realities that engaging in violence of any kind is just going to create a wasteland. And that's not the wasteland that anyone wants to live in. I have never seen such just an upbeat, optimistic, positive vibe protest movement that we're seeing here, at least from the images that we're getting. And as exhausting as it must be, and, and it is from talking to Chitun and, and hearing the pressures he's under, there's also a life and an energy and a belief in it. And that's all stemming from this Buddhist principle of nonviolence. I don't want to romanticize um, Myanmar too much because I, it is very close to my heart. And sometimes I have a tendency to, to romanticize it. But I think there is something to say for, you know, the presence of uh, the Buddhist teachings there over the last 2000 plus years. And so qualities like, you know, loving kindness, um, compassion, generosity, those sympathetic joy, um, caring for one another, um, you know, all of those things are very palpable there. And, uh, and you may have noticed while you were there, you know, this tendency of, of people in Myanmar to, to relate to one another, even in their language. Um, you know, just the closeness, uh, whether they call you, you know, brother or sister or aunt, uncle, even if you're not related. I think that there is just, um, that's really quite unique to me. I haven't really seen that elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Of course. And that it's also good to recall here, just Chitun's background. He's not just a Burmese Buddhist, like like so many in Myanmar are. Of course, not all. It's a very diverse country. But he was educated in a monastery. He lived for, I think it was six years as an assistant in a monastery. He, mm. um, he also, in turn, gave back to that monastery by teaching and by helping uh, those novices that were living there. And knowing him personally, I, I can't begin to tell you about his commitment to those to that monastery and the programs it does in the community that that he has and let's also not forget that and this is very applicable to our platform and many of our audience that because of his outgoing nature and his uh, english ability and his uh, just engagement and kind of getting things done and making decisions figuring out fixing problems he was kind of this conduit between the monastery and the foreigners who started to come to practice there. Because as he mentioned, Legu Seida was so revered and the monastery he established was so respected. It wasn't just a place where 
local people in the community came to engage, but it was also a place where people came from overseas to be able to practice under him, to be able to have a conducive environment and to, uh, to be around him. And, uh, when they ran into various forms of cross-cultural difficulty or needing this or that, Chitun was that bridge between the Burmese Buddhist world and these foreign yogis and monastics who were on the path. And uh, and Chitun really played a pivotal role. He describes in this talk, but I know much more from personal experience, he really played a pivotal role in helping the spiritual journeys of a lot of practitioners who came. That's amazing. Yeah, it sounds like he's he's really actively engaging with with the teachings that uh, that he received through his time at the monastery and just growing up in a Buddhist culture. Um, there's actually something that uh, that Gonkaji says that I really appreciate, and and it's that sila is threefold. Have you heard this before? Please, if I have, please tell the listeners. <laughs> okay, so uh, so I. I think I'm remembering remembering it correctly. Um, But he says, you know, the first fold is that you don't commit the wrong action, right? And the second one is you encourage others not to commit wrong actions. And lastly, you don't take delight when others do commit wrong actions. And so I I just find that what Chitun and others are doing right now, it really is based in loving kindness and care for others. And and it sounded to me like they have a lot of faith in the fact that doing good actions lead to good results. Right. And so as, as trying as these times are right now, they're very, very committed to that. Yeah. Now that you say that, I do remember Goenkaji saying that. I think it might have been on the 20-day course somewhere in the discourse, but I could be wrong. But I also remember being really moved by that myself. And I think that's also why it's so interesting to try to understand what's going on right now from this Buddhist perspective, because when one is familiar with these doctrines and and insights born from meditative practice, I think there's ways to see more deeply into what's actually happening in the protest that can make these connections that maybe aren't quite so obvious to people that uh, are coming from different backgrounds. Yeah, you know, I think for most of us that are living in the West, um, that are familiar with meditation, um, we you know, it can be quite easy for us to practice because we live in relatively stable conditions. Um, Whereas, you know, Chitun and others in Myanmar that are familiar with the Buddhist teachings and meditation practice, um, they're really being forced to to apply their practice in in much more complex ways. Um, And I think that in doing so, they're getting the opportunity to sharpen their discernment and really apply the Eightfold Noble Path. Can you imagine millions of people in Myanmar moved by the Buddha's teachings of loving kindness, generosity, you know, as they're out protesting 10, 12 hours a day, risking their lives and really standing up to to greed, hatred, and delusion. Can you imagine millions of people that have been taught the Buddhist teachings or have at least have been familiar with it um, in their upbringing and in their culture using using that to power a movement um, that could potentially save millions of lives? 
you know, one of the most um, amazing things that I've witnessed with the protests is that there's literally millions of people out in the streets that are applying uh, what they've learned in, through their culture, through their religion of, you know, metta, um, generosity. I've seen kids handing out snacks to soldiers and people um, trying to engage in dialogue with with the soldiers handing out flowers, picking up trash. Um, it's really amazing how they're standing up to delusion, greed, and hatred. Mm, right. I think this is really an unprecedented moment. I think that it's going to take a lot of time to really appreciate how powerful what we're seeing is and what it tells us, not just about Myanmar, but about protest movement, protest culture, in the history of the world, because this is what we're seeing now is in line with some of the nonviolent movements of the past, but is rooted in different principles and in religion and ideology that is homegrown to that culture and to those people. And to see it in action, it just takes your breath away, you know, to, to see mm. it's like this lifetime of cultivation that mm. people have worked towards inclining their mind towards these wholesome qualities that now in the most dangerous moment, the most tense mm. moment of having to bring those out, that's their only tool against a trained military, you know, mm -hmm. that, that is willing to stop at nothing. And those qualities of mind are the tools that they have. And we're seeing this on display and, it is, uh, you know, it, it is something that I don't, I don't know how else to say it. It just, it just takes your breath away watching what they're doing day after day, uh, sitting here with those images and those stories coming and being affected by, by what we're seeing, by what I'm seeing and just wondering, what can I give back? What can I do from here? You know, I've, ha I've had some people say to me, um, you know, you must be having a really difficult time. You have family there. And what I find myself thinking is it's it's not even about my family, you know, and I think this really speaks to the movement in that they're not necessarily only thinking about their families. They're thinking about the villages, you know, in other states, they're thinking about people that they don't know, strangers, um, innocent strangers, you know, in the millions um, that can be very negatively impacted um, by what's happening. So really, their only weapon is to band together, and they're doing it nonviolently, which is beautiful. So there's actually this, uh, this really popular story that I heard as a child in Myanmar, and I imagine that most people out there on the streets right now probably heard it as well. And, and basically, in the story, there's three sons, and a father hands the first son a stick, and he asks him to break it. And, you know, he easily breaks the stick. Then he, said, he, he gives the second son two sticks and asks him to break the two sticks. And, you know, he does it relatively easily. And, and then lastly, he gives the third son a whole bundle of sticks and says, here, break these. And, you know, obviously, he's not able to. And so, um, so I've just been reminded of that story so much um, mm. in seeing the protests happening. Yeah, right. And I think that's good to keep in mind that a lot of the people in the protest probably heard the same story and that's probably animating their thought as well. 
So I think at this time, as we who are outside of Myanmar, but connected one way or another to the country and the people are hearing these stories, both the inspiring stories of what they're doing and as well as the darker stories of what they're up against, I think what comes to our mind quite a bit is what is our role and what can we do? I know that's certainly been the case for me. And sometimes it can feel a bit helpless to hear all this information and feel that there's only a limit of how much we can do. And I think another profound thing that Chitun said that really struck me hard that I've been thinking a lot about this week, when I asked him this question, what, did, what is it that we can do? This, here's this person that's engaged in the middle of these protests, putting himself on the line, bringing Buddhist principles of nonviolence into the most difficult of situations and asking him, how can we support you? His resounding answer was just to know what's going on combined with giving emotional support for the protesters, saying that, you know, it is tiring work to go out and to protest day after day. It is hard, kind of laughing, you know, like it's harder than I thought it was going to be. I didn't know it was going to be like this hard and this stressful. And when you do that, there's only so much gas in the tank that you have and you have to do things to redouble your efforts and your motivation and reaffirm your principles and everything else. And they're doing all that really fine on their own, but they are in a difficult state. And his one plea was just the value of people overseas showing their emotional support, how much that did to give them, that does to give them energy and momentum and power going forward. So that, uh, hearing him say that was really kind of shocking to me actually, because I, I didn't, from my side, it just didn't seem like enough. It just didn't seem like, like that was really as important as he was telling me it was. But since hearing him say that, and again, this is why it's so valuable to hear from those people directly that are involved in this, what they're telling us, what their their realities they're speaking to us. And the reality that Chitun spoke to us at that moment was in the incredible value and importance of people from overseas being involved by showing their emotional support and their encouragement as much as possible. Yeah, it sounded to me like it it means the world to them to have mm. some sense that there are people outside of this that see us, that hear us, that support us, that believe us, you know, or believe in us, at the very least. Um, it sounds like it really is providing a lot of energy um, to the movement, even though they are being accountable and uh, and doing everything they can on their end. So I think for listeners hearing this, one of the big takeaways from this episode is in that way that you can support people like Chitun and others if you feel so moved. Of course, there's other ways to be involved. You can give donations to different organizations that are doing work. You can volunteer in certain efforts and uh, write to your local politicians in whatever country you're in and encourage them to take action. We don't want to discount any of those actions. But when we heard from a protester himself who's on the front lines using these Buddhist principles in his work, he really emphasized the importance of emotional support. And so for those listening, if you have friends in Myanmar right now, reach out to them, talk to them daily, let them know that you care, let them know that you're concerned, let them know that they can talk to you when they need to, if they if they want to process something, if they're just engaged in very difficult feelings that they don't know what to do with, that 
you're someone safe that's there that they can engage with and that in return that you know what they're going through and you care and you support them. If you don't have Burmese friends, find some online. Burmese are really easy to get to meet and to talk to and to be friendly with. And they're very interested in meeting foreigners and practicing their English. So if you don't have Burmese friends, go to your favorite social media platform and see who's talking about what and just make some online friendships. Because even though it might not seem like a lot on your end, it's a heck of a lot on their end. Yes, exactly, Joa. I have personally uh, been benefiting for from people reaching out to me, knowing that you know I have roots in Myanmar and connections there, and it's been just so so helpful to hear from people and and just knowing that others care about this too. Um, and it's really quite an opportunity for us to unite. Um, behind millions of people in their efforts. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot there. This was a really powerful one. And we'll close there. So thank you, Ashley, so much for being with us with your first touch. Hopefully it wasn't too painful. I thought you did great. Thanks, Joa. Well, I really appreciate your commitment and all your efforts um, in raising awareness about what's happening in Myanmar. And I know that this means the world to the people there if they, if they were to know what you were doing. So thank you so much. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this show. I understand that this is an enormously difficult time for many people these days, myself included. And just the mere fact of staying informed is helping to keep a focus on this pertinent issue. And the only way that we can do our job of continuing to provide this content at this very critical time is through the support of generous donors, listeners like yourselves. So if you found this episode of value and would like to see more shows like this on the current crisis, please consider making a donation to support our efforts. Either monthly pledges or one-time donations are fully appreciated and all funds go immediately into the production of more episodes like this one. Thank you deeply in advance and best wishes at this time. If you would like to join in our mission to share the Dhamma from the Golden Land more widely, we welcome your contribution in any form, currency, or transfer method. Every cent goes immediately and directly to sustaining the programming. You can give right on our website via credit card by going to insightmyanmar.org donation or through PayPal by going to paypal.me insightmyanmar. We also take donation through Patreon, Venmo, GoFundMe, and Cash App. In all cases, simply search Insight Myanmar on each platform and you'll find our account. Alternatively, you can also visit our website for specific links to any of these respective accounts, or feel free to email us at info at insightmyanmar.org. In all cases, that's Insight Myanmar, one word, spelled I-N-S-I-G-H-T, M-Y-A-N-M-A-R. If you would like to give in another way, please contact us. Thank you for your kind consideration. You have been listening to the Insight Myanmar podcast. We would appreciate it very much if you would be willing to rate, review, and or share this podcast. Every little bit of feedback helps. If you are interested, you can subscribe to the Insight Myanmar podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts. 
Also, please check out our website for a list of our complete episodes, including additional text, videos, and other information at www.insightmyanmar.org. That's Insight Myanmar, one word, I-N-S-I-G-H-T-M-Y-A-N-M-A-R. If you cannot find our feed on your podcast player, please let us know and we will ensure that it can be offered there. There was certainly a lot to talk about in this episode, and we'd like to encourage listeners to keep the discussion going. Make a post, request specific questions, and join in our discussions on the Insight Myanmar podcast Facebook group. You are also most welcome to follow our Facebook and Instagram accounts by the same name of Insight Myanmar. And if you're not on Facebook, you can also message us directly at burmadama at gmail.com. That's B-U-R-M-A-D-H-A-M-M-A at gmail.com, and we're also active on Wheel. If you'd like to start up a discussion group on another platform, let us know, and we can share that forum here. Finally, we're open to suggestions about guests or topics for future episodes. So if you have someone or something in mind, please do be in touch. We would also like to take this time to thank everyone who made this podcast possible, especially our two sound engineers, Martin Combs and Tharnay. There's, of course, Zach Hessler, content collaborator and part-time co-host. Ken Pransky helps with editing. Dragos Bandita and Andre Francois produce original artwork. And a special Mongolian volunteer who is asked to remain anonymous does our social media templates. We'd also like to thank everyone who assisted us in arranging for the guests we have interviewed so far. And of course, we send a big thank you to the guests themselves for agreeing to come and share such powerful personal stories. Finally, we are immensely grateful for the donors who made this entire thing possible. We also remind our listeners that the opinions expressed by our guests are their own and not necessarily reflective of the host or other podcast contributors. Please also note, as we are mainly a volunteer team, we do not have the capacity to fact check our guest interviews. By virtue of being invited on our show, there is a trust that they will be truthful and not misrepresent themselves or others. If you have any concerns about the statements made on this or other shows, please contact us. This recording is the exclusive right of Insight Myanmar podcast and may not be used without the expressed written permission of the podcast owner, which includes video, audio, written transcripts, and excerpts of any episodes. It is also not meant to be used for commercial purposes. On the other hand, we are very open to collaboration. So if you have a particular idea in mind for sharing any of our podcasts or podcast-related information, please feel free to contact us with your proposal. As you know, our podcasts are 100% listener-supported. We welcome your contribution in any amount, denomination, and transfer method. You may give via Patreon at patreon.com slash insightmyanmar, via PayPal at paypal.me slash insightmyanmar, or by credit card by going to insightmyanmar.org slash donation. In all cases, that's Insight Myanmar, one word, I-N-S-I-G-H-T-M-Y-A-N-M-A-R. If you'd like to give especially to support our new run of coronavirus episodes, please go on the GoFundMe site and search Insight Myanmar to find our campaign. If you are in Myanmar and would like to give a cash donation, please feel free to get in touch with us. Thanks, and see you next show.